everyone. Welcome to the podcast of the Vineyard Church, Chester Springs. We invite you to join our mission to love like Jesus, and you can connect with us on social media or visit our website, csvineyard.org. Now for this week's talk, brought to you by co-lead pastor, Amos Grunendijk. Good morning, friends. You guys can have a seat. Welcome to the Vineyard. My name is Amos. I'm one of the lead pastors here. And if this is your first time, really glad you came to check it out. Uh, We know it takes a lot of bravery to come to a new place. And if you haven't done so yet or before, I would recommend going to the website and filling out one of our digital connect cards. It helps us invite you, include you, communicate with you. Uh, And I mean, there's, there's just, I think, a lot of cool things about being in relationship with people in a spiritual community. And that's, that's kind of the theme of the day today. Uh, today is Partnership Sunday. It's something we do every year. Why do we do partnership every year? Well, for us, at least, we don't want the commitment that we make to each other to become like old and dusty or forget kind of the, the core things that it means to be here like a committed part of the Vineyard Church. Or if you're new and you want to know what it means to say, yes, I'm in, after you've heard a little bit about what is this place all about, it gives you a chance to sort of jump on the on-ramp. And we just, we ask for a one-year commitment. So it's not, it's not like you say, I am in with the Vineyard Church for the rest of my days, but maybe I'm committed enough to say, I'm ready to try on what it means to be uh, just part of this community. And we call that partnership. Some churches might call it membership, but I'd like to frame it in terms of this quote by Mark Sayers, which is not new to our church. I've read it before. It is a mirage to think that you can have community without commitment, faith without discipleship, or the kingdom without the king. In other words, that deep need we have for belonging doesn't come without making promises to each other. Promises that none of us keep perfectly, but we do our best to live up to. That's one of the big differences between social media and church. On social media, you don't have any sense of commitment. You haven't said, I am going to agree to live this certain way or have this be a certain set of values. You haven't agreed to be kind to each other. But here at the Vineyard, one of the things we ask you to do, for instance, is to, if you're offended, move toward the person. I shouldn't say if you're offended. When you're offended by someone or if you've realized that you've committed an offense against someone else, you move toward the person. So every year, this is the way that we say, yes, I'm in. We have a frame with the written out commitment here in the middle. And there's going to be an opportunity for you to sign this frame out in the lobby at the conclusion of the service. And we'll leave it out a couple weeks if you're viewing online and didn't make it today. Or if, if you're online, just... Uh, in a regular way right now because of COVID, what we'll do is we'll send out a text to everybody who's like a regular attender here at the Vineyard. And you can just respond to that and say, yes, I'm in. And if we get really ambitious, we'll take that and like, you know, do one of those Microsoft Word things and make it kind of scripty and we'll put it 
on there, and then, then you won't you don't have to feel left out. Uh, that's how it's a it's a weird time, isn't it? But uh, I'm I'm really glad that you're here or tuning in. What what I want to do now, though, is a couple years ago we filmed a video of people who are committed to our church just reading through the commitment. And some of you guys have aged a little in the last three years. I, but some of you still look great. I, I'll leave that up to you. But anyway, uh, take a listen. I'll be back. I am committed to our mission. 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 I am committed to our mission to love like Jesus. At the Vineyard Church, partnership is based on honest intentions, grace, love, and mutual respect. We don't want to micromanage each other's lives. We trust one another to keep our commitments consistently, not perfectly. We celebrate the mystery that despite our diversity and brokenness, it is by grace that we are all part of Jesus' body. We believe commitment to a local church is an important step in your spiritual journey. It's our way of saying this is who we are and your opportunity to say, yes, I will. I will love God. I trust Jesus to be the Lord of my life. This means I give up control and instead follow his spirit and his desires for every aspect of my being. I will participate regularly in weekend services to cultivate my spiritual health through hearing, reading God's word, worship, prayer, and relationships. I am committed to developing a lifestyle characterized by financial generosity. I will faithfully give to my church. I will prayerfully seek God's guidance about giving a percentage of income and give sacrificially when God serves me to give to additional needs or opportunities. I will find a place to serve at the vineyard in a group or on Sunday. When I need help finding my place on the team, I will take initiative. I will love people. I will engage in authentic relationships, both during and beyond Sunday service. I will let others into my life and turn to help carry their burdens. I will seriously consider joining a life group. I will create a culture of radical welcome by choosing to withhold judgment and assumptions about people's behavior and motivation. I will make the first move to pursue reconciliation when relationships break down. I will think the best of others and offer forgiveness to those who hurt or betray me. I will embrace the pain of loving people over the temptation to withdraw or express my feelings in passive aggressive ways, like gossip and slander, even if it involves the vineyard's leadership. I will intentionally invest in friendships with people who are not connected to a church, with those who are not yet following Jesus. I will show integrity, not hiding who I am, nor what God is doing in my life. I will love myself. I will base my identity in God's unconditional love for me, not on my performance or ability to earn His favor. I will love myself. I will grow in self-awareness by paying attention to my inner life so that it is shaped more and more by Jesus and His love. I am committed to self-care as a way to value myself like God does. I will work towards setting healthy boundaries in my life and taking seriously the command to rest each week. I will journey toward becoming whole in my mind, body, and emotions, rather than make excuses for my shortcomings. I will be honest about my flaws, hang-ups, and brokenness and invite Jesus into them.
I just want to say, Rich, you haven't aged a day. You look great. Um, so there, there were a lot of words, and if you didn't catch them all, they're on the website, csvineyard.org. Go into the about thing, and you'll find something about partnership. But there's nothing that is... I, I don't think particularly like controversial. It's all very much core. This is what it means to follow Jesus. It's all flowing out of who Jesus is, what Jesus teaches, how the New Testament applies the teachings of Jesus to the local church. And so in a sense, saying yes to like the Vineyard Church, this community is, is simply saying yes to Jesus, following him, and I'm going to do that with these people the best that I can. Uh, there are a couple partners, though, that we want to celebrate today who have really, I think, gone above and beyond in their commitment to our church, to the love that they've shown to people, to the way that they've served. And so you guys ever watch football? Any of you watch football? A couple, many of you watch football. Okay. So something that a coach will do after a game is they'll say, I want to celebrate, you know, Jimmy Garoppolo tonight. He, uh, you know, he threw an interception, but we still won magically. Uh, but uh, he'll say, I, I give you, I'm giving you the game ball. So on Partnership Sunday, we give away a couple of game balls. And we've, we've made this a tradition. And it's just one of the really, I think, sweet things that I get to do on behalf of our church. And uh, so the first game ball today goes to Tim Mack, who, one of the amazing things about Tim Mack is he substitutes in Vineyard Kids more than anybody else I know. Like he, when there, when there is an empty slot, he fills in. Tim has been really faithful in the way that he has served our financial assistance team. And those are you know, whenever someone's in a financial crisis, they can fill out an application. He's part of a team that helps not only decide how to help, but guide people toward financial health. And then finally, uh, many of you know Tim's a doctor. He's been uh, a core part of our COVID advisory team. Uh, so thank you, Tim, for all the ways you served. That doesn't even mention the painting you did in the kids' wing. So I don't, I don't know that I throw the ball any better than Jimmy Garoppolo, but... Boom. All right. <clears throat> Next game ball goes to a guy many of you know and love, Pat Baker. He serves quietly and faithfully, whether it's coming early to set up moon bounces. He cut carpet for hours and hours and hours. He helped manage uh, like some of the technical details of putting up the drywall. Remember how we tore down some walls in here? Uh, he, he's just such a faithful servant who has a great attitude and serves behind the scenes with gentleness and humility. Pat, you're going to have to get a little closer. I'm going to hit someone in the head. But uh, can we just say thank you to Pat? Oh, uh, Yeah. And finally, you know, we've never done this before, but we're giving a ball to an entire family. Uh, the Murray family serves and serves and serves. They're generous people, like in their friendship, but also with their time. You see them on the stage playing 
pretty much all the instruments. Is there any instrument that you guys don't <laughs> have covered? Uh, you know, Ed, you show up, you just show up. You're the guy who shows up when people are looking for wisdom, for guidance, for love, for encouragement. People find you. And likewise, Maria, the way you serve our church, like words can't even express. Maria serves on our board of directors. Maria serves also as another medical doctor uh, on our COVID advisory team. Uh, There's so much you guys do behind the scenes. Camille plays the bass, right? And yep. And Elijah, who's off at college, whenever he's around, it seems like he's on keys or what else does he play? He just keys. Okay, well, Elijah plays just keys. But anyway, uh, give, a, give a warm clap to the Murray family. I, I discerned that, Camille, you had the best hands. I don't know if that's true, but uh, you, you went and got for it. So, uh, what a, I love you guys. I love... I mean, I love everybody, but, but thank you today to those guys, individuals, uh, men, women, teens. Uh, Elijah's not a teen anymore, is he? For a, For a couple more months, okay. But young adults, thank you. I'd like to, at this point, just transition and invite the Holy Spirit to come, and we'll read from the Scripture today. So Holy Spirit, come. It is such a gift to be part of a church family. We actually believe that is an act of supernatural grace that you have brought us here. Wherever we've come from, whatever we've done, whatever we still struggle with, you have decided just in your sovereign power to give your love to us and to knit us together like a body. So I pray a blessing on this church. For all those who are connected, guard their hearts, transform their minds, keep their bodies healthy, heal anything that is sick, whether it be a sick heart or a sick body, whether it be cancer or COVID, we pray that your power and presence would flow throughout this community and into the world. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's start by opening up our Bibles. Restart by opening up our Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2. You may have brought your own. I encourage that, but there's also some spare Bibles in the back on those carts. And if you pick a Bible up off the cart, the page numbers will, you know, be up on the screen too, so you can get there really quick. Ephesians chapter 2. You know, we've been doing daily reflections uh, throughout Ephesians, uh, little meditations that are in the like six to 10 minute range from just leaders in our church. And I think, I mean, I hope it's been really amazing for you. It's been centering for me and Ephesians is, is a really beautiful book. Um, but before I read, I want, I want to share something about myself. 
Uh, you, guys, you guys maybe know this. Maybe you probably don't actually know this. I didn't wear the color green from sixth grade through maybe age 20. You know why I didn't wear the color green? Well, my first football memory was a sad one. Uh, I remember the 49ers losing to the Packers in 1996. My second football memory was also sad. I remember the 49ers losing to the Packers in 1997. And so I grew, I, I had this like festering hate that I had in my heart toward the Green Bay Packers football team from Wisconsin, in case you don't know. The Niners are from San Francisco. I don't really can't explain why they're my team, but they just are my team. Uh, so anyway, at some point I made peace with the Packers, decided it was better to be a lover, not a hater. And then, uh, and then I met a girl who was a Packers fan, which was difficult for me, but again, I, I had made peace. And something pretty amazing happened since marrying Allison. Uh, the Niners haven't lost a playoff game to the Packers since we've been married. Isn't that amazing? Uh, but you know, the Niners beat the Packers kind of in a little upset last night. I don't know if you guys are watching, but kind of a big deal in my house. And Allison would would have been here. She's just not feeling well. And so, I, I mean, maybe she's watching, maybe she's not, but... Anyway, I ask, I have a two-year-old daughter now. Her name is Isla. And a couple days ago, I said, hey, Isla, who do you want to win the game? The 49ers or the Packers? And you know what she said? Both of them. <laughs> now, that's not what happened. <laughs> that wasn't on the table. But one of the things that uh, presents a unique challenge when trying to form like a community with Jesus at the center, is that we believe, right, that we are saved by grace through faith. Everybody on board with that? Or is it that we are called and commanded to live holy lives, to live lives that are unique and different from kind of the, the cultural views or values that, that have a certain like unique way of loving, a unique sexual ethic, a unique way of relating to people. So is it that we are saved by grace through faith or is it that we are called to live holy lives? Both of them. Both things are true. We, we are freely saved. We are freely invited to be in God's kingdom. And yet, to be a citizen of the kingdom means that we make Jesus our king and that we give him our entire life, our whole way of being. It's a commitment to, for the rest of our lives, defer to him and try to live and love like him in all we do, no matter what. Even when the culture maybe has a different set of priorities for how to spend your money. All the stories that are being told on Netflix, all the values that are being taught on TV, cable news, and in our schools, we say, even though the, the, the current of what our, maybe say, American or cultural or secular values is all pulling us in a direction, we, we say, as citizens of the kingdom, no, we actually, 
We're going to go with the king's way. We go the king's way. So let's, let's look at how that plays out in Ephesians chapter 2. This is, I, I think this may be, I, I'll just say it is my favorite passage in all of the Bible. Uh, really, the whole section from Ephesians 2 verse 1 to 10, but I'm going to start just in verse 8 because I'm going to read some other things too today. God saved you by his grace when you believed. That's that you are saved by grace through faith. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done so that none of us can boast about it. For we are God's masterpiece. This is just, this is this beautiful metaphor. We are God's masterpiece, his work of art. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can go do the good things he has planned for us long ago. So there's a lot of things in the Bible that we can say both of them are true. One thing that is definitely not true is that you are not saved by your good works. Did you catch that? We are saved by grace through faith, not by the good things we can do for God. We can't earn God's favor. But then as soon as you get to verse 10, he has created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can go do what? Good things. The good things flow out of this new life we have with Jesus. One of the interesting things is uh, to ask is, what are these good things? And I don't think it's just generic good things or even, you know, God has, a, 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 has planned that you go serve the food kitchen or the Chester Springs food bank next month, which we're going to do. Not just that, but actually a call to holy living. So when you find Paul talking about being holy, he's usually talking about the same thing when he's saying the good things. It's all about the new life that comes from Jesus. So for instance, in Romans, it says, we want your whole being, your whole self to be as if it's a living sacrifice, holy or set apart or submitted to the kingship of Jesus so that your life looks differently than it did before. In fact, if you were to look up just a few verses in verse chapter 2 of Ephesians, verses 1 to 3, it talks about that old way of living, that way you used to live. But then, verse 4, God is so rich, rich in mercy and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ Jesus from the dead. So is it that we are saved by grace or is it that we are commanded to live holy lives? Both of them. And just to, just to kind of drive the point home a little further, you all, all you have to do is flip the page to verse, or chapter 5 and we'll just start reading in verse 1 and we'll stop reading at verse 8, I guess. Imitate God, therefore, in everything you do, because you are his dear children. Put another way, God is our father, and we were made in his image to take on his character. Live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. 
He loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to love, aroma to God. So what does love look like? The willingness to lay down your life. He offered himself as a sacrifice. And this is pleasing to God. Verse three, let there be no sexual immorality, impurity, or greed among you. Such sins have no place among God's people. Obscene stories, foolish talk, and coarse jokes, these are not for you. Instead, let there be thankfulness to God. You can be sure that no immoral, impure, or greedy person will inherit the kingdom of Christ and of God. For a greedy person is an idolater, worshiping the things of this world. Gulp. Don't be fooled by those who try to excuse these sins, for the anger of God will fall on all who disobey him. Don't practice in the things these people do. For once you were full of darkness, but now you have light from the Lord. So live as people of light. Let me try to illustrate this. So if you were to walk down the street and ask someone, let's just say there's a heaven. Do you think you'll go there? We've talked about this before. Something like 80% of people will say, yes, I will go to heaven. And if you ask that person why, you know what they'll say? Almost, almost everybody will say, well, I'm, I'm living a pretty good life. You know, I try to treat people well. I'm not hurting anybody. It's not like, I'm not like some people. In other words, there's, there's this inherent judgment and they're basing their salvation on what? Their good works. This is anti-Jesus. This is not the gospel. This, ha- this is salvation through earning, through works. You are saved by grace, through faith. This is a gift from God. So, if anybody asks you, do you think you'll go to heaven? You can say yes, but it's not because of me. <laughs> it's because of the generosity of God. He is gracious. In fact, just to contrast the average person on the street, you know what Paul says about himself, the guy who wrote this? He says, of all sinners, I am the worst. And this shows just how patient God is. So it's rooting our salvation, not in how we behave, but in our faith, which by the way, a lot of times we hear the word faith and because we live in this post-enlightenment kind of very rational world, we think, oh, we have to believe all the right things. Whereas actually the word faith is, is better translated trust. It's about putting our ultimate trust in God, trusting him for our salvation, but also trusting that he knows best trusting that he knows how our life should go, which is not how we usually think. We usually think we know how to live our life best. And so if we end up in a conflict, we won't follow the Bible's uh, prescription to go to the person and try to reconcile. Uh, it's also in the commitment, by the way. I bring that up because that's like, that's always a hot thing in, in every church, right? The, the tendency to gossip rather than reconcile. Um, the tendency to either triangulate with someone who is not the person, like 
by bad mouthing them or like sometimes we triangulate on Facebook. It's like triangulate to the world, you know? I have an issue with this person. I won't give you their name, but you can probably figure it out. It's not Jesus' way. Trusting that even though it's hard and even though sometimes it's uncomfortable, trusting that God's way is the best way, even if I can't make sense of it, even if it makes me, it seems to make me happy to do things my way. Trusting that choosing to submit to the authority of Jesus' kingship as revealed through the Bible. Now, another thing that can happen is let's say you go up to uh, your Christian friend and say, I, I love you. I have noticed or I have experienced that the way you're living your life right now, like the way that you're gossiping, the way that you're slandering that Facebook post doesn't seem to line up with the heart or character of Jesus. And what will the kind of default response from that person be? Don't judge me. I'm saved by grace. I can, you know, that also is anti-Jesus. That is anti-gospel. <laughs> the, the reaction of my life doesn't matter or I can justify my own actions. I am the authority. Bug off is not the way of Jesus. There was somebody, uh, one of the great Christian thinkers of the 20th century's name was Dietrich Bonhoeffer. You guys know this, this man? Yep. So he lived like kind of before and during the Nazi rise to power. He was a Lutheran pastor in Germany. Uh, and he says this, salvation is free, but discipleship will cost you your whole life. And one of the things that was going on that allowed the evil of Nazi Germany to continue is what he called cheap grace. Uh, Paul comments on this in one of his letters. He said, so you say that I can keep on sinning so that grace may abound? Paul says, by no means. So the, like, your life doesn't really matter. You're saved by grace. One of the, one of the root causes of the evils of Nazi Germany was bad theology. I'm serious. <laughs> Cheap grace let people turn their eyes away from the horrors of the genocide of the Jews in Germany. Now, how do we live this out? There, there's a couple of like things here. The, the salvation by grace, the the call to holy living, I see these as tensions, not to be resolved in one way or the other. So if you think of them as scales, if, if you only focus on the salvation by grace and not the kingship of Jesus, you end up with one set of problems. If you only focus on the kingship of Jesus and not grace, you end up with another set of problems. And so we're not going to resolve the tension. We're going to hold the tension. And if you can, have you ever been shocked by uh, like static electricity. If you're in the dark, it's really cool because you can see how, how the two poles connect. It's like electric. And so I'm just, I'm going to say, let's hold the tension and let's imagine that they connect somehow, but you, we can't see it under this set of circumstances. 
uh, believe that that'll get explained someday, like maybe after we die, or may maybe you understand it better than I do, but I think these are things to hold in tension, and there are different ways to apply this tension, and churches have done it differently at different times and in different places, but here's how we do it at the Vineyard. We think of our church as a centered set, and I know that this might be language that you're not familiar with, but if you look at this picture, this kind of gives you an idea. There's two kinds of ways to group people. There's the bounded set. You draw a circle and you say you're either in or you're out. And the inness or the outness is usually based on a couple of things. Uh, the things you believe or the behaviors you exhibit, and then you can belong. And so there's, there, it's not just churches that can operate as a bounded set, uh, like the YMCA is a bounded set, or uh, LA Fitness now called I don't know, Esporta, Esporta, anybody go there? Nope, guess not. Anyway, they rebranded, and uh, if, if you, if you, tr you know, to get in, you have to do the right things, not be a jerk, not pay your dues, and uh, if you don't do those things, you get kicked out. But if you ever try to leave, if you ever try to cancel your subscription, say even Hulu, what happens? They say, are you really sure you want to leave? We'll give you this special deal, please stay. Uh, and, and churches sometimes do this too. They beg you to stay, and if, if you leave, then you kind of get zapped on your way out. So the focus is on where the line is. In a centered set, the, the inclusion is, is really all about direction and movement toward a center. And one of the amazing things is that if, if you consider that center to be God or Jesus, you, you might be like, have been raised in the church and and yet your life has turned away from Jesus. Or you might have never gone to church before. Maybe today's your first time, but you're, you're turning your life toward Jesus. And you, you think maybe you want him to be the center of it. That's, that's what's most important, direction and movement. And so in this church in particular, we have people coming from all over the place. Some of you are coming from Catholic backgrounds. Some of you are coming from Baptist backgrounds, Methodist, Reformed, Presbyterian, uh, no church at all. And we're, we're saying to each other, we belong. Now, this partnership document, is this a bounded set or a centered set? I, you could, some, you could, eh, I'm going to call it fuzzy. <laughs> it's a little fuzzy, but uh, maybe metaphorically think of it this way. Centered set is, we, I, I can get away with calling it a centered set because in the partnership, we're really, we're defining the center. We're defining what it means to move toward that center. And we're de defining what it looks like to, say, link our arms with people who are doing the same thing. It's a way to say, I'm linking my arms with these people. So if you look at that picture again, like imagine all the little people that are moving toward Jesus. There's like a little dotted line that kind of connects them. And just one more cool thing about the centered set idea as it kind of plays out in the Gospels or in the New Testament uh, and the Bible really as a whole is uh, turning in Hebrew is the same word for, you guys know, repentance. And then in the New Testament, it has like more of a, you're shifting your mindset so that Jesus and his ways become pr like the primary thing on which you base your life. And so we, we, like, we think repentance is the way to like, move, like turning toward Jesus is the way to like receive his grace, but also 
as you keep your eyes fixed on him, your life begins to change. You notice uh, in, in Ephesians 5, when it talks about all those kind of not so good characteristics, it applies it to, very interestingly, idolatry. It is, an idol is something that replaces God as the center of your life. It, it, it's about worship. And so when you worship money, when you worship your own pride, when you worship sex, when you worship uh, respect or you worship politics, whatever it is that you worship that's not God, that's going to trickle out into your life and into your behavior. Uh, to add another level to how this works in the church, I'm kind of running out of time, but let's just flip over to 1 Timothy chapter 2. When it comes to leadership, we actually don't use a centered set model. We use a bounded set model. In many ways, like your relationship between you and God is something that I can't judge, that I can't see, but uh, because I'm not God, I don't sit in his throne. And that's the kind of judgment that the Bible speaks out against. There's this crazy passage, though, where Paul says, to just translate it literally, uh, if we were better at judging, little j, then we wouldn't fall under judgment, big j. Weird, right? If we were, and another way to, a lot of the way, times it gets translated this way, if we were better at discerning, then we wouldn't be under God's judgment. But uh, in, in 1 Timothy chapter 3, did I say chapter 2? There's a bounded set around what it means to be a leader or to hold spiritual influence. And so I'm just going to read it real quick, and I'm not going to comment on it too much. We'll say chapter 1 to 6. This is a trustworthy saying. If someone aspires to be a church leader, he desires an honorable position. So a church leader must be a man. We, we would include women. We see that modeled in the New Testament. Uh, whose life is above reproach, that being kind of the key word for leadership. It goes on to explain, he must be faithful to his wife. He must exercise self-control, live wisely, and have a good reputation. He must enjoy having guests in his home, and he must be able to teach. He must not be a heavy drinker or be violent. He must be gentle, not quarrelsome, and not love money. He must manage his own family well, having children who respect and obey him. And one of the interesting things is uh, in, in that, oh, if a man cannot manage his own household, how can he take care of God's church? And a lot of times you assume that it's the children who are misbehaving. But another way to interpret this, which I think is actually super compelling, is it's actually about not how the children behave when there's discipline happening, but how the parents behave. So it's a, it's a matter of... Uh, how you're responding to their disobedience more than it is about their disobedience. Isn't that crazy? That makes sense to me. Um, <laughs> I have a very wild child. I love her so much. Uh, a church leader must not be a new believer because he might become proud and the devil would cause him to fall. Uh, and we'll, is that, no. Also, people outside, did I say through verse eight? Nope, through verse six. That was something else. So, so in leadership, we have a bounded set, and there's a different commitment that takes things a little bit higher. And we, we've kind of recently discerned that leadership is not only for group leaders. Like teaching in Vineyard Kids, that is a place of significant spiritual authority. Playing on this stage, leading people into a, a worshipful posture is a place of significant spiritual authority. 
Uh, and and I, I actually think anybody can pray, but like in terms of prayer time, like you don't, you don't have to live this life above reproach in order to pray for someone at home. But like when you're on, when you're praying here in the vineyard up front, you're like wearing the vineyard badge. Like in a very unique way, you're saying, I, I'm representing this group of people. And so the commitment level is higher. And no, like we're, you can't be perfect. Anybody here perfect? No, no, no. Not me. Trust me. I am not perfect. I was a jerk just yesterday. <laughs> and, uh, and I was home all day. And that's, so you kind of know. You can know. You can guess. It wasn't during the Packers game, though. I was very kind during the game. It was before the game. Uh, what am I saying? Okay, so what, what we're kind of, what we're looking for and, and what hopefully gets reflected is, as a leader, just that, not that you're perfect, but that you're repentant, that you're moving toward Jesus at the center, that you have this life above reproach. And so while there are a lot of different ways to apply the tension of salvation by grace and a life above reproach. This is the way we say it. Like, if, in this centered set of partnership, if you want in, if you want to sign the thing, you're in. And if we're asking you to try to live life like Jesus has designed for you, but if you don't give to the church or if you stop giving to the church, you're not going to get a, an angry phone call from anybody. <laughs> and, and hopefully what will happen is if you're moving toward relationship in the church, th that you get like really warmly embraced. You guys have experienced that, right? Uh, and if you decide that this isn't your church home anymore. We don't zap you on your way out. We do just the opposite. We, I mean, not just we, the pastors, but like we bless you. We, when people leave the church, I say, I desire like God's best for you. And I hope that what you're doing next is a place where you can grow and flourish, flourish spiritually, even if that means in a different church. Like I, I would, I bless everybody who leaves. It, it happens. Uh, there's, there's just things that happen. So one final scripture and just further kind of crystallizing how this works out is Titus chapter 2, verse 11. Uh, and here it says, uh, this is also written by Paul, by the way, to a guy named Titus, uh, who is a young pastor in a church. He says, for the grace of God has been revealed, bringing salvation to all people. And we are instructed to turn from godless living and sinful pleasures. We should live in this evil world with wisdom, righteousness, and devotion to God. While we look forward with hope to that wonderful day when the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, will be revealed. He gave his life to free us from every kind of sin, to cleanse us and to make us his very own people, totally committed to doing what? Good deeds. Interesting thing here, it says, for the grace of God has been revealed. And then it says we are instructed to turn from godless living. You know what's doing the instruction in this passage? You know what the subject is? It's the grace. The grace is instructing us. And this word instructing could be uh, interpreted, uh, translated, disciplined. So it's the same word when you read in the Bible, discipline. The grace disciplines us. The word discipline is related to another word that 
I used earlier? Yes. There is, it is a mirage to think you can have faith without discipleship. And it is grace that disciples us. It is turning back to Jesus, making him the center of our lives. And that's, that's how we live. That's how we love. And when we want to define love, we look at the person of Jesus. And all he did, we trust, was done out of love. From the embrace and healing of a man with leprosy to the call of re- to repent to everybody he preached to, to the rebuke of the Pharisees, to the command to a woman caught in adultery to go and sin no more after extending her this profound grace. That is what it looks like to love like Jesus. The love of Jesus can encapsulate both salvation by grace through faith and a submission to the kingship of Jesus and holy living. So let's stand. The worship team's coming forward. And we're just going to right now turn our hearts, turn our attention. One of the things that happens in worship is we're trying to point that heart in our chest back toward Jesus. And so we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would come and that you would meet us, that as we turn to you, you would speak to us. You would guide us, that we would, re- like, that we would repent but that we would then experience your grace, that we would turn to you and see the smile on your face. Thank you for saving us. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for transforming us. So come Holy Spirit, we worship you now. Amen. Thanks again for listening to the podcast of the Vineyard Church, Chester Springs. We hope you share this with your friends and family and subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. See you next time.